0: every american citizen must have an equal right to vote administration of elections is primarily state and local responsibility whether you voted for the very first time or waited in line for a very long time by the way we have to fix that
1: hi welcome to high turnout wide margins this is Brianna Lennon. I am the county clerk in Boone County, Missouri, and with me is my co-host.
0: Eric Fay, Director of Elections in St. Louis County, Missouri.
1: And today we have a very special guest that's gonna to talk to us about being a poll worker, working in the election space, all of the experiences that she's had, and uh, all of the different hats that she wears. And so we're really glad to have you here.
2: Thanks so much for having me. It's really an honor. I'm Jenya Coulter.
1: So how did you get your start in the election space? How did you end up working in elections in the first place?
2: It was a complete fluke. I was a housewife and stay-at-home mom for a really long time.
1: In another life,
2: I was a DJ and a model. So I don't exactly have a normal career path. So I, um, when I got my driver's license in Florida, they asked if I was interested in signing up as a poll worker. And I'm like, oh, sure. Next thing I know, I get a letter and I'm in as an alternate. And then two days before the election, I'm second in command at my first election, which was the 2016 uh, presidential preference primary. And I guess I did okay because they asked me back. And I started writing about my experiences into the void on Twitter.
1: You've done a lot now. You've been writing pretty prolifically about experiences with voting equipments, line management, offering advice and things like that. What has kind of driven you to stay in the election space once you started working in it?
2: Because it's one of the few things in this world that actually holds my attention and I never, ever get bored with, because there's always a new crisis to go fix. And I think the other thing is, I find that there's, you know, we all have different sides to our personalities, and elections have different sides to their personalities. You know, the stuff at the front line, there's the things on the back end, there's the esoteric stuff like risk-limiting audits, and then there's the, you know, constant combating of conspiracy theories.
1: That's very true. Can you speak a little bit to what your experience has been in Florida, especially in the elections that you've worked and maybe talk a little bit about, so Missouri doesn't have early voting. We have excuse absentee voting, um, but I know that you have been a poll worker in both capacities on election day and at an early voting location. So can you kind of speak to what that experience has been like in in Florida?
2: I actually do like how Florida runs their elections. Everything makes sense. And they really do try to make it, for a red state, surprisingly, it's very voter-friendly. Early voting, quite frankly, is my happy place. It is long, it is grueling, but I get the same team every day, and we're all best friends by the end of it. I refer to us as Team Fishbowl. It's one of those things where there's constantly fires for me to put out, I have total responsibility, so I'm more comfortable with that than if I had to take orders from somebody else. And it's nice to be able to watch people who are way better at interacting with human beings than I happen to be, and seeing them just, you know, voters walk out with these huge smiles on their faces, and it's like, hey, my team's doing a pretty good job here. Now the early voting process in Florida is a little different because there's some jurisdictions I found out where they put their ballots in envelopes to be tabulated at central count. And that was just like, Oh my God, really? Because in Florida, what we do is our voters put their ballot into the ballot scanner. And then that vote gets tabulated and then we just bring the ballots back to the election office at the end of the night.
0: What kind of training do you get? Uh, Do you get training before each election? Is it different than the folks who just work on election day?
2: It's very different because we have a slightly different electronic check-in system, and we have those wonderful ballot-on-demand printers that, if you look at them cross-eyed, will have a timing mark that's just slightly off-center. So you have to know how to, how to make sure that the printers and the evids are cooperating. And also, you have, you have a lot more leeway to fix problems for voters during early voting. There's some things that I cannot fix on election day, but early voting, holler at your girl, I can get that done we get around four hours of training. Um, We had to switch to online training. And what was interesting is I went from this year being a poll worker to actually being one of the trainers. And I pretty much hustled my way into the job. Um, The trainer that they had, or one of the trainers they had just didn't show up one day. And I was saying to my supervisor, you know, I'd do it. And I was completely talking out my, you know what? And she looked at me, she's like, really? Let's talk. We have a conversation. I do my train-the-trainer. Next thing you know, I am training poll workers.
0: That's how it evolves a lot of times, (laughs) that kind of thing. We have a number of people who work full-time in our office that started as poll workers and just had an interest in it. So I'm curious, in your case, at your early voting locations, your EVAG, your electronic poll books, are they connected remotely to the other locations across the county? To
2: the other locations, no. Um, to to our uh, county database, they kind of have to be, because if a voter needs correction with their address or name, sometimes gender, sometimes birth year, we have to be able to be in contact with the office as we're doing that so they can update it. But we always fill out a voter update form that has the, the new information on it so there's also a paper backup. Redundancy, it's a thing.
1: I think that's very similar in Missouri in a lot of ways. It varies across jurisdictions. Like you said, we do have a lot of counties that aren't using equipment during the absentee period. They're still having ballots being put into envelopes. Quite frankly, we were doing that in 2019. So it's still new to us that we would be putting absentee ballots directly in the machine. We had some programming things and different equipment things that we had to work out before we could get to that point. So. I feel like it's one of those decisions, once you start doing that, it lets you do more in early voting capacities and voters have a better experience being able to just put their ballot directly into a machine. One of the things I know I've seen you talk about in the past has been lines and line management. Is that something that is covered in your trainings? Is that just something that you pick up over time and figure out ways to better move voters through your space?
2: Okay, line management is part art, part science. And the first thing is we have what's called our polling deputy. They pretty much, they're the muscle around the place. They do the security. And they're also the ones that make sure the voters get in the right lines. A good deputy, and I've got one, is worth their weight in gold. Because they can pretty much get, they can maintain traffic control. So I can focus on being in charge and one of the things that they're able to do is if there's going to be a wait, they can warn the voters. They're like, Hey, there may be a little bit of a wait. Do you need to make change to your voter record? I can get you a clipboard and a a form and a a pen. So you can fill that out. And by the time you get to the assistant clerk, guess what? They're ready. And it cuts down on processing time. So making sure that your poll workers are empowered to speed up that process time, I think is really important. Um, There's certain things that the poll workers with more basic duties aren't allowed to do and in some cases that's fine in other cases you it might be worth it elevating their privilege level just a little bit so like they could accept a surrendered vote by mail ballot and stamp it with cancelled but the assistant clerk would have to do the processing so it's it just i think it's partly make sure that your poll workers can handle give them as many duties as they can handle you know sometimes people do really well when they're trusted with more responsibility you wanna make sure that when you're um, moving people through that you're moving them through in a logical order. If you have six people waiting to check in voters, you wanna send the voters coming up in line to the farthest one first. And we got to use two ballot scanners this time. That was wonderful. And Even with record turnout, that was the only real line we had It was to the DS 200s. The ballot scanner could only accept that ballot so quickly. You try to speed that process up, and guess what? It jams.
0: You know, one thing that I've heard from a lot of election administrators that they're always leery of giving election workers, poll workers, more autonomy, something you just mentioned. Because I always say the creativity of poll workers is endless. They will think of a lot of different things to do out there. So somebody like you who has pretty extensive experience working in polling places and early voting locations a number of times, How do you manage situations like that? I'm sure you've run into situations where people have kind of gone off on their own and gotten creative. How do you handle those situations? What recommendations do you have for election administrators and how they should train supervisors like you to handle those situations?
2: You want to make sure that they know the proper procedures to handle as much as humanly possible. Because there's some people who think, oh, it's just on a need to know basis. We'll just teach them a couple scenarios. Oh my God, that is so not how it works. Because usually you'll have a brand new precinct clerk who has never done this before. And all of a sudden they have a situation that was absolutely not covered in training. And you want to make sure that they've either got a really good voter hotline to call or they've got the tools they need or a guide next to them that says, hey, you do this. And they generally do figure it out. Now we've had, I had an issue once where one of my book inspectors was tearing the top part of the ballot off along with some of the timing marks. And I had spoiled 24 ballots in a row. And what I'd realized is that book inspector could have used a little more hands-on training before she would started. So you wanna make sure that all your poll workers know what to do and what not to do. You know, sometimes you just have to say, look, don't do this or else. Now it doesn't work for everybody, like it wouldn't work for me, but for the average poll worker, I think it's fine now if they ask you want to make sure you can give them a good answer like if you do this your your electronic poll book won't be talking to your ballot printer you know it's like cause and effect explaining cause and effect i think is a really effective training method and it cuts down on those little creative moments
1: i think that's a really good point because i think that is something that gets missed a lot one of the things i had the opportunity to do for this past election, especially, I could go to some of the polling places and see what things were happening in real time. And there were a lot of situations that I was observing where nothing went wrong, but it could have gone better had we explained that cause and effect. I think that's a really good point. Training, I think, is always a challenge because you're trying to figure out, as an election administrator, you're trying to figure out how much do I want people to know, how much can they actually retain without forgetting the one important piece. Do you all have um, checklists or guides or things like that to walk you through a lot of the election procedures?
2: Yes, my election office is wonderful and we have color coded checklists for just about everything. And each of our supplies has a little color sticker on it that corresponds with that checklist and where we're supposed to pack it at the end of the night. It's really, really nice. And our warehouse manager is, very orderly. And he pretty much, uh, let's just say he's like, if you put anything out of place, girly, you are in serious trouble. And I'm like, Dave, I don't want you to eat me. So once I learned his system, it really made a difference because now when I've packed my equipment, I'm like, oh, this is why I want to make sure everything's in the right place. So I don't make Dave's job infinitely more difficult.
0: So I have a question about the training you've done now. You said you, you've been able to do some training. One thing that I feel like I always struggle with and my folks always struggle with is when you're training folks in a class, whether on you know, virtually or in person, you always come across a few people that just aren't getting it and you have to make a decision. Are we just going to say thanks, but no thanks. We'll, we'll try to find somebody else. Have you run across that? And if so, how bad does it have to get for you before you tell somebody, you know what, we're just going to have to find somebody else. Do you, do you do tests? Do you do anything like that at the end of your classes?
2: Yes, we do do, we do, do testing and we do have evaluations. Um, our new online training, which we pretty much developed on the fly, that you actually had to pass the test in order to move on to the next uh, segment of the training. And I think everybody can learn. It's just that some people learn differently. So you kind of have to meet them at their level. I am not as worried about the poll workers who make mistakes as I am the fact that I've had quite a few elections where at least one of my workers never showed up. So as long as they show up, I'm happy. I'll talk them through anything if they need it.
0: Yeah, that's what I'm always praying for election morning is just a warm body and a seat. And we'll we'll take it from there, you know. Kind of thing. But I always say we're coming in on a wing and a prayer each, each election.
2: Isn't that the truth?
0: What else, from your experience, would you like other election administrators to know about how to train poll workers, how to recruit poll workers, how to empower poll workers. What, what are some other recommendations you might have for other folks across the country?
2: Well, a good poll worker is hard to find and in some cases even harder to keep. Um, I've had some really great poll workers that I only got to work with maybe once or twice and I still miss some of them. So I think there needs to be, a lot of times poll workers can, do, can put up with a lot of pain. But it's they want to make sure that their about their contribution is valued by the election office, and they just want to feel like, you know, that you know somebody told them they did a good job. You know, it's like we're pretty simple people. It's like pat us on the head and tell us we're a good boy. And generally, we're pretty, you know, we're pretty laid back. And I think it helps to have allow, allow the poll workers to talk to each other, you know, it, keep the lines of communication open. I really enjoy the fact that I get to election explain to people, and if they have a question, I can answer it. And it's like, make sure that if they have questions, you know, they, don't, you know, they don't feel like there's any dumb questions, because there really aren't. You know? You know, We all learn things in our, in our own way. And as far as training goes, just keep the training moving. And color-coded forms really do make a difference. And or if you're describing a form, Sometimes it's easier to refer to it by its color, like I refer to the, um, our voter um, hot pink cheat sheet as a screaming pink that you can see from space. And people were able to retain that. It wasn't like, what, what's the name of the form? It's like, oh, it's the screaming pink one, or it's the um, nauseating green one, or it's the, the orange that's the retina-sizzling orange. Like people can remember color sometimes a lot better than they can remember the name of a particular document.
0: That is, I think, really an excellent suggestion. I I know from my own experience and from most poll workers I've talked to, no matter how much training you've had, you get there on election morning or the first day of early voting, and it's a little bit deer in the headlights, like, oh my God, okay, what what happens now? And if you can just think, okay, yeah, I need the pink sheet and the green sheet and and the blue box and this, you're right, that probably does help quite a bit.
2: And one of the tips that I can that I try that we try to give our um, precinct clerks at training is bring a sharpie with you and label all of the seals that you're going to need at the end of the night. That way you know which seal goes which, and it makes your paperwork go faster if you have to record seal numbers.
1: We have a number of trainers. We have eight or nine trainers that we have come in, and we give them kind of an overview briefing on what's changed between elections. We solicit their feedback on different things we redesigned a lot of our checklists this year they had a lot of input into that what is the structure that you have with your local election
2: authority the better you know the people who work the warehouse the people who do voter registration when they know who you are you're able to find out why things are done the way they're done i mean in my case i have a bazillion new ideas but i'm not the boss so obviously those will never be implemented So it helps me to understand, okay, this is why we're doing what we're doing. I wish the poll workers would get together, but for the most part, we run into each other at elections and during training, and then we kind of disperse throughout the year. Or at least that's my experience, since everybody else here has been a poll worker for like ever, and I'm still the weird chick from Los Angeles.
0: Does your county do any kind of uh, poll worker appreciation stuff?
2: we have our poll worker pins and we refer to it as our football it's a little oval shaped pin that says election worker and we get a bar that we attach beneath it for each election that we do i think we're one of the very few jurisdictions that does these but i have done 20 elections in just under four years
1: i think in the election space it's nice to have somebody that wants to step up it can be very overwhelming for a lot of people and i know at least just in talking and going to our own poll worker training and conducting some of it. Some people really like to have that strong supervisor position. They have no interest in ever becoming a supervisor. They would like to just continue on being an election judge. They like being part of the experience, but they do not wanna have the responsibilities of having to sign the papers and put their name to it and be one of the ones that has to handle the really difficult situations and things like that. So I know I'm always grateful when somebody wants to be in charge of something and i think we've been extremely lucky as we've lost our trainers through attrition the ones that have come up have just plugged them right in and they've been hitting the ground running and coming up with great ideas i am sure that that your county is very thankful for you
2: i hope so sometimes i think they just wonder what the heck were they thinking but i try basically i what i do is my whole goal in life is just not to embarrass my election office because there are wonderful people who gave me a chance when most places wouldn't and i'm grateful every day
1: are you gonna let me talk about election twitter
2: now (laughs) i if you had told me that a hashtag i created when i was still social media director at us vote foundation a hashtag i created to get around an irs rule that you couldn't tweet about anything that said political or politics if you had told me it was going to become like this weird cultural touchstone i would not have believed it because it was something it was just kind of a throwaway thing and I just liked using it to could showcase some some of the mappers that I knew, some of their work, and to communicate with various election people who happened to be on Twitter. I think you were one of my earlier ones. So it just sort of you know grew out from there, and people started talking to each other. And the best part is that people who would have never ever wanted to speak to each other, you know, for the most part, on Twitter, they like I'll introduce them, and they're like best friends within like ten minutes. And these are groups that generally don't always get along, like some of the election cybersecurity people and some of the more traditional election officials. It's cool to watch all these relationships and friendships. blossom. It's like even two people I knew on election Twitter wound up getting married, which was just awesome. So it's cool. It's like it's part family, part knowledge clearinghouse and part obscure little cult. I just didn't expect that it was going to get so huge.
1: I'll tell you, it was my first introduction into the world of election mapping, I mean, I love data and had always loved combing through election results and voter data and EVE's data and things like that. But I had not really ever considered the concept of election mapping. And then to go on to the world of election mapping, and also a lot of these people are still in high school, which is just amazing.
2: I mean, the young, our youngest election Twitter member is 14.
1: I mean, I, I think my my little election heart just is so happy to see that there are people that are that engaged that are still students and that are gonna go on to do more very cool things, whether it's in elections or otherwise. If you're that civically engaged, you know, well, you're still in a high school. I think that's amazing. For me, that's what's been really cool about finding out more about election Twitter and the the conversations that happen there. I don't think Eric is on it.
2: (laughs) Oh, you've got to join. Seriously, we have cookies.
0: Well, I'm in then. I love cookies, or any food that's free. So, can you tell everybody what is your Twitter handle if they're not following you already?
2: I am at election babe. I promise I don't bite. I'll j- although I will probably I will go for on periodic rants about provisional ballots from time to time.
0: And how much time would you say? I don't know. Every day you spend on election Twitter.
2: I am what they would refer to as very online. But part of it is, if it weren't for, for Twitter, I wouldn't have even had a job or been able to turn anything into, or my writing, into anything in the first place. So I probably spent way too much time than I should on there, but I think it evens out because I've met so many wonderful people, and I've learned so much from so many folks.
0: Speaking of that, as, I don't know, what would you call yourself, the goddess of election Twitter or something? I don't know, the, the over ruler, whatever. As such, what do you like seeing from election administrators?
2: I love the ones that are willing to answer questions from their voters because that really helps build trust. I love the ones that are willing to talk shop. I mean, I actually had a conversation today about like an auditing process software. It's like, oh, my God, you asked me. This is so much fun. You know, the ones who are willing to reach out to people who know stuff that's outside of their, um, you know, their sphere. And the ones, I can, especially the ones who are get really excited when one of the mappers does a map of an election in their jurisdiction. You know, that really, like when an election administrator compliments one of the Twitter kids, that's really cool. All
0: right. If one of the Twitter kids maps my jurisdiction, I will definitely get on there.
1: I keep waiting for somebody to do Boone County, but there's a lot of election Twitter kids from the St. Louis area. The other thing that um, I wanted to bring up about it is Well, like you said, you couldn't put political on there because of IRS rules. But I think one of the other consequences of that is that it's been a very nonpartisan, bipartisan type of space because it's not political Twitter. It's not a lot of people that are there campaigning. It's people that are interested in the election side of elections and not the candidate side or the issue side of elections necessarily. For me, that's created a space that I'm not really used to because there's so much political conversation about the election. This is very apolitical. Has that
2: been intentional? I don't really like politics. I love elections. And I'd really rather just let people's love for elections shine through rather than the avariciousness that politics tends to bring.
1: I guess, I mean, we're all still coming off of the 2020 election. And I think Twitter has certainly been one of the places where the election fallout has continued on. There's been a lot of discussion about it. There's a lot of very active people, whether you're on election Twitter or just honestly on Twitter. How has the the 2020 election fallout and all of that been for you as a poll worker, as just a avid elections social media user, what impact do you think it's gonna have in the space?
2: I think it was really nice to see um, various people in election professionals with the trusted info 2020 hashtag and other hashtags, going out and trying to do a preemptive strike against uh, misinformation. That really made a big difference as far as trust in the election process. Well, of course, later on that kind of devolved into, you know, chaos, but that's not on, that's not on the election professionals part. And I think what it did was it allowed me to communicate with voters if they had a question, like if they needed to know, like I'm in college, but I live in an, a, another state, how do I get my absentee ballot? And I'm able to go, okay, DM me, take a deep breath, we'll get this figured out. That's really helpful to be able to answer questions from voters. And I think one of the other cool things is you can get out a lot of information about the upcoming election in your area very quickly. You, know, you can do cool memes, graphics, et cetera. And you can give early voting dates and times, You know what you need to bring with you. Polling place change, you can get that out. And if you know local reporters, guess what? You can tell them and say, hey, there's gonna be a polling place change. Can you do me a solid and get this out to, to your uh, viewers or readers? So there's a lot of, that. you can disseminate a lot of information very quickly in an efficient manner to people. But at the same time, rumors and misinformation do tend to um, flourish like kudzu on uh, Miracle Row. So. It's kind of, it evens out, but I think overall, Twitter's been a positive place for elections, far more so than I'd say maybe Facebook or some of the others have been.
0: I don't often hear anybody talk about Twitter in a positive way, so that's good to know.
2: I love Twitter. Without it, I probably wouldn't be here. You know, my followers to me are basically like my family.
0: All right. Thank you everybody for tuning into another episode of High Turnout, Wide Margins, and a big thank you to Jenya Coulter, for being our guest today. You can find her at Election Babe on Twitter, on the election Twitters. And I hope you all follow her, become part of her family, and hope you tune in for the next episode of High Turnout, Why Margins.